Today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. If you didn't know, SeatGeek is the official ticketing partner of the Brooklyn Nets. Whether you're trying to go to a Nets game, Liberty game, concert, or any other event at Barclays Center, you really only need SeatGeek. Welcome to Courtside Conversation. I'm your girl, Allie Love. After years on the hardwood as the in-arena host for the Brooklyn Nets, it's time for me to take it courtside. We're here with artists, athletes, and all of our favorite people to break down the game called life. We're getting real about the grow up and the glow up. So let's take a seat. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh my gosh, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Courtside Conversation. It's your girl, Ali Love, and I'm back with another cool guest, Smoko Ono, producer and Grammy-nominated songwriter who has produced songs for the likes of Chance the Rapper, Dram, Vic Mensa, and of course, so many more. Chicago's in the house. Smoko Ono, what's up? Woo woo. What's going on? Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Are we going to talk sports? We are. We're going to talk a little bit of basketball in the third quarter. So we break it down into four quarters, just like a basketball game. We're taking a seat court side. So let's jump right in into the first quarter. Let's talk about home. I'm from the 305, and I love where I'm from. There's a word on the street that folks from Chicago rep Chicago harder than anyone. Is this true? I think it's true because I think it's even to the point where if someone says they're from Chicago and you're from Chicago, the next question, you ask them where. And if someone says like Naperville or something, we're like, you're not from Chicago. So we definitely take pride <laughs> in letting people know that everything comes from Chicago. If it's the best music, the slang. Talk to me about music. How did you know this was an avenue for you? I often start most of the conversations like this. And I had this conversation this morning with a friend of mine is that growing up as a little black girl in Miami, little biracial girl, I didn't know what was available to me. I didn't know I could become a host of a podcast or create my own podcast mm -hmm. and pitch it to the NBA. Like I didn't even know that was possible. Um, how did you find music? Well, I first discovered music when I was like eight. My school at the time, they created this orchestra and it's like an orchestra program in like the hood of Chicago, like where like all the Puerto Ricans go to school. Cause I'm Puerto Rican. So it's like in Chicago, it's very segregated. So it's like all like, you know, the Hispanics will go to school together. Blacks usually go together. It's super, it's messed up, but they put this program in my school and I was like, I'm going to try to play the violin. I didn't even know what the violin was or like, you know, like what it sound like. But um, I like fell in love with it, played it for like four years, but I couldn't really understand like classical music. Like it just didn't make sense to me. So I kind of stopped because it was like I had to play the violin on like Saturdays. I had to like miss football or like not hang out with friends to like play the violin. I was like, this is not cool. So then 
after that, I got reintroduced to music when I was like 17, 18. A friend of mine asked me if I wanted to make beats. And I was like, never heard of this process of what's making beats, you know? And then he showed me and then I just fell in love with it. And then, yeah. So between kind of like that 10 year, right? That decade between the violin, seven, eight years old to seven to 18 introduction to making beats. What was your passion at that time? I mean, all of us went to school and, you know, for the moms and dads and guardians and parents out there. Yes, we love school. Wink, wink. But what did we really, what did you really love to do? I love to play sports. Um, I played basketball my freshman, sophomore year, and then kind of stopped just because it's like the school I played for was like really good, but it was very, uh, it was like very like political. Like when I was 2008, I never heard of like an AAU team, you know, Mm -hmm. like now, like on Instagram, you see all these kids playing basketball and it's like, they're like superstars when they're like 13. But I was like, oh, this is too much for me. But I just love sports. I played basketball, baseball, whatever I could play. Tried out for soccer. But yeah, that or like I used to skateboard a little. Um, And then, you know, just like party or just do stuff 15, 16-year-olds would do. I don't know. Just having a good time. Yeah. And then like when I was a senior, then that's like when like Chance started to come out and like Vic and all these other people and... I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, let me just try to make beats for them and see where that goes. Like, before we talk about the the beats and get into the second quarter, I have to ask you, um, I know you said, you know, the teams in basketball and things like that were a little political. But the real mm-hmm. question that everybody's thinking is, were you any good? Yes. But was I as good as these kids they recruited since fifth grade? No, I was not as good as these. Because that's what I'm saying is like, I went in, I was supposed to play football, at like a Catholic school, but Catholic schools here are like very expensive and far from Chicago. So it would take me like two hours just to go to practice and then have to come back home. So it's too much. So I walked down this basketball team, but when I came on, like there was kids that they've been recruiting since like fifth, sixth grade that I was just like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. You know, like yeah. in 2007, like I didn't know that there was coaches going to sixth grade basketball games and watching kids play. So when I went there, I was probably like, like if the roster is 14, I was probably like number 12. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, at least you were 14. Right <laughs> yeah, but you know, so, but it was fun. I mean, I feel like everyone thinks they're good at basketball until you like you meet someone who's actually really good at basketball. I think it's two different things. I think you can be good at basketball in two different ways. Yes, there's good at basketball, like make the NBA. You got mm. 400-ish folks that make it into the NBA. It's a very yeah. small number for the, versus the folks that grow up loving basketball. And then I think there is another area of like being good at basketball where you wear that title is if you can do a pickup game in the hood, like if you can go to anybody's court pickup game and you break your ankles, you're good at basketball. Like yes. there are two types of good in my opinion. So I ask, right. I, I'm going to push right. this yeah. question. Are you good? If we put you on a court right now, I mean, like, are you good with the rock? Oh, I'm definitely will hold my own. I I think I'm good. Okay. I definitely get a lot of respect from being good at basketball. If it's through my peers or random people, they're like, oh, he could hoop. What? I didn't know. Because, you know, I I don't know. It's just, I feel like when I transferred, so I transferred when I was in fifth grade, I transferred to sixth grade to my rival school. And you have to understand, like, a rival school in Chicago, like, Kids were just getting fights, jumped. Like, it was the scariest thing I've ever experienced. But my rival school was 
better for like just all the academics, you know, they're just a better program. And my brother's graduated. So my mom was like, okay, I'm gonna take you to this school. It's better, blah, blah. But the only way I was able to prove myself was through basketball and like, you know, like sports. People were like, oh, he could play basketball. Like, you trying to be friends? <laughs> so mm. it was like, definitely helped me in life to be good. How many brothers? I have two older brothers. One's two older brothers. 32 and one's 33. What were the schools? For those that are, that are from Chi-Town, what, what schools are these? I went to Sabin and then I transferred to Diego. So it's in Humboldt Park. Got and it. Like Humboldt Park is like the Puerto Rican neighborhood. Now it's super gentrified, but yeah. Today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. If you didn't know, SeatGeek is the official ticketing partner of the Brooklyn Nets. Unlike any other apps, SeatGeek makes buying tickets super simple. Whether you're trying to go to a Nets game, Liberty game, concert, or any other event at Barclays Center, you really only need SeatGeek. SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Well, you kind of brought up, and which is a, it's always a talking point, especially in Chicago and many of the cities that many of us have been raised in, including New York, including Mm -hmm. Miami. So let's roll into the second quarter. Two parts in the second quarter. We talk about adversities and we talk about assists. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk about this adversity and that you talk, you kind of brought it up. And I wasn't going to take the conversation there, folks, I mm-hmm. promise. But of course, it's an alley-oop. I got to dunk it in that we got to talk about these issues. You talk about the areas being segregated. You also talk about access to information. We know access to information is expensive. And growing up as a person of color in certain areas, having access to free sports allow us to see ourselves in those sports, especially if there are avenues of representation on television, i.e. in the NBA, insert lead name here, and we see ourselves there. However, what ends up happening is sometimes if there is no access to that information, and we're living in segregated areas, and we don't have time and or resources because our, you know, we're helping our families, then we don't know what we're capable of and we don't have that fair opportunity. You brought that up a lot in Chicago. How do you think transferring from going to Diego when your older brothers have gone, obviously I assume in front of your mom's mind is like, we want to make sure you're protected. You ain't got no protection no more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're a little youngin. But going to the quote unquote better school, how did that alter your um approach or how did that alter your your ability to conceptualize race and the access that, or I guess inaccessibility that comes along with being a certain type of race, a minority in a sense. Yeah, it was transferring to this school. So it's like, even though that this school was better, 
So they had like an honors class and then like a regulars class. That school still was like, if anything, was more hood, I would say. Mm. But so for me going to that school, I was super big into like skateboarding, you know, like all that stuff. And me going into that school, (laughs) they called me the white boy, but I was Puerto Rican. But it was just because I was, I skate and, you know, I skateboard, I do these things. And to them, they, they weren't really exposed to outside culture of like white people or whatever it is, Asian. So they assumed that I was white because I skateboard, you know? So that was actually a funny thing to go to school and it's like, wow, these kids don't really like know about skateboarding. Like they don't know like how I'm dressed is different, you know, compared to how they dress. Like at that time, people had like rubber bands on their pants. I don't know if you remember that era and like (laughs) basketball jerseys to your knees. But I think the good thing though about Chicago public schools is that when you do go to a high school, they bring you, I feel like that's where you meet people from all different walks. Like, so the school I went to, Von Steuben was very, very diverse. Like that's what they took pride in. So like, I feel like until I got into high school was like probably like the first time I like made a friend that was white or Asian or black, you know, because coming from, my school, when grammar school, it was only Puerto Rican or Mexican or there might be like one or two like white kids or something. But really, it's like 95%, at least for me. There's some mm-hmm. schools in Chicago that exist like that might be more diverse. But I think going into high school was the first time that I like met someone that lived by the lake or their parent is does this or they're, they're rich or they play they play golf or they play tennis. I'm like, what? You you play these things? So I think until I got into like high school is when I started to see like more of like what the world's really like. And like, so it took me a while. I would say, you know, like 14 years. I mean, I knew like about skateboarding and stuff like that, but still like other stuff that comes with just like the actual world and people that you deal with of all races, you know? So it took a while. I mean, it sucks that Chicago is like that. Um, We have like Humboldt Park is just like Puerto Ricans. Then you go like Little Village, which is like Mexicans. And it's like Ukrainian Village, like, you know, China. But it's so like separated, you know? Yeah. And the only time it, it tends to open up is when like the white people move in. And I've seen it personally where it was like my neighborhood was bad. And then like... 10 years later, now like the mayor lives there and it's like, you know, property goes up. The gangs are gone. Yeah, it's like the gangs are gone and it's like, yeah, it is safer, but you do lose the culture and like, you know, the feel of what the neighborhood really is. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but. No, yeah, I think think it's always, again, it's like, it's your story because you kind of backtracked. was like, I don't know if this is right. It's our story. I think for, Similarly to me, for high school, I went to an arts high school in Miami, mm. New World School of the Arts. And that was my four years of exposure. I had not, ex- I had not been exposed to ver- like a variety of different cultures just because naturally when you move somewhere, your family moves somewhere for protection and safety, mm-hmm. usually moved to a community that feels like home, wherever mm. you're from, right? Especially yeah. if you are a minority or a person of color, you, you move into a community where they know the language, you can understand, you can get around, you can get seasonings or foods that you're accustomed to. So it is a natural kind of habitation where you congregate in an area 
like-minded people make you feel comfortable because of cultural, yeah. like the same cultural people make you feel comfortable. And then what is beautiful about it, and I find it's great for Chicago and many big cities, is that while this is still the main case and we want to, we know diversity, diverse streams of thought really solve problems for people, is that when kids go to school, the introduction and the exposure that we have for each other it's quite beautiful. And so similarly, like I said, in high school, that was my my introduction to different cultures yeah. and it helped shape my frame of mind. Also in the second quarter, we talk about assists. You talk about your buddy who, your dude who introduced you to Beats. Um, tell me about that experience of what was it about Beats? Like being introduced to something yeah. doesn't mean you're good at it. Doesn't yeah. mean you're going to love it. Even if you like the person that introduced you to it. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, let's see. So yeah, I feel like when he introduced me to Beats, it was, he was older. So he was like, maybe at that time, he was probably like 28 and I was like 18. So he was, you know, like a guy who I looked up to. But he was like, all right, you could only come on the weekends because I'm busy, but you could come on Friday and Saturday and come to the studio. So like every week, I would just be so excited to just go there and just make, because that was the only way like I could make beats. I didn't have the access at my house. I didn't like have any programs. So every week, like I would just go and keep going. I was like, wow, this is so much fun. Like just the process of creating something from thin air or just an idea that you have. And the beats were terrible. Like the beats, <laughs> the beats were <laughs> garbage, but it was so funny because I would be so proud and I would go to school like the next Tuesday or week and then I would go and I would play these beats for my friends and you know just like in like we would try to freestyle over them or just like it's like oh it's cool you made this beat or like or like I used to share like on Facebook I would be like hey there's a new beat of mine check it out <laughs> like to my friends like you know I was just so proud but they probably were not as good as as the beats now but just having that excitement and passion for something um I never had like where I was like excited and I was proud of myself, even if it was the worst beat, like, or if it was good, like I just thought it was the coolest thing. And then the guy who I learned from, he wasn't like a professional like musician or anything. He just did it as a hobby, but he was the first one to believe in me and be like, and he was like, yo, like I really see like your work ethic and like, I think you're gonna, you're gonna do this, you know? And this is like before, any placements, nothing. Like he really saw it in me. And I think that that helped with me also just starting to believe in myself. Like, oh, this guy who I look up to is like telling me like, yo, you have this work ethic. That's great. Just stick with it, you know? So that that same year I asked my parents and I was fortunate enough that they were able to buy me like, like a little keyboard and like program and stuff just to get started. And, you know, and like at that time, my parents weren't like, no one in my family had found a career doing something creatively. You know, it was like just where I come from. It was like their parents were like, once you turn 16, you have to work. Like, Yeah, school. you go get a job, make some money. Exactly. And there was like, I, and my dad, there's eight of them. So for them, they're like, okay, we need people to provide, help pay rent and stuff. So to them, work was way more important than school. And then the generation with my parents, they're kind of like, well, school is actually more important, you know? So for my parents, they're like, yes, this is a hobby, but you still got to go to school. I didn't go to school and they were taught me a lesson, but uh, 
Yeah, so I feel like from starting making beats with my friend John John is the guy who taught me. That's um, who I was waiting on. That was my next question. Yeah. I was like, let's give our assist award to John John. John John, shout out to you because of your assist. Smoko's yeah. here right now. He's an amazing person. Like he, first he started off as like a counselor and like, and I'm talking about the roughest schools. And he just takes kids who like might not have brothers or fathers or whatever it is. And like, he's like their positive role model. Like, you know, he'll take them to games or he'll just show people another side to things. Because he comes from one of the roughest neighborhoods. You know, like he was used to be in a gang, all these things. And I think from his experience, he, without me knowing, like he was trying to put me in like the right path. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. Did he ever get you to school on Monday? Because you said, you know, I'd make beats on the weekend and then I'd show them on Tuesday. And I was like, wait a minute, did you not <laughs> I mean, go to school on Monday? <laughs> nah, I just, I just stayed. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't tell my um, mom. <laughs> all right, let's take a beat. We're going to jump into halftime. This is a little bit um, of a fire rapid that we do. A okay. couple questions uh, real quick. And then we're going to get back into the conversation. So welcome okay. to your quick halftime. Here we go. What's your biggest pet peeve? Biggest pet peeve? A liar. A liar. Non-negotiable for you. This is a non-negotiable. What do you mean by this non-negotiable? Like, like a non-negotiable for me is kind of like tardiness. Mm. So my pet peeve is like when someone clips their nails in public and then a non-negotiable is like, don't be late on my time, on my dime. Uh-uh, not today. Yes, yes. I would say also don't waste my time. Don't waste my time. Yeah. Favorite thing, do you cook? No. No. Favorite <laughs> thing to eat then? Because I was going to Favorite thing to cook. Favorite thing to eat. Uh, Hibarito sandwich. Hibarito sandwiches. Right. Do you know what that is? Uh, I do not. Tell me what it is. What? You're from Miami. You never I know. I <laughs> said I said it like I knew it. Like I was like, okay, so I, I oh, got it. And you live in New York? Oh, man. It's a, it? it's a Puerto Rican sandwich that it's, uh, instead of bread, it's two fried plantains. And then they'll put like meat, lettuce. And so it's really good. So it's like a Cuban sandwich, but just with plantains. Yeah. Got it. You should go to, um, what's that neighborhood? Oh my God. Bushwick. <gasps> Bushwick. Has oh, a, I was like, don't great... mess this up. Whatever you no. do, don't no, 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 mess no. this up. In New York, there's a place in Bushwick that's really fire. All right. I'm going to check that out. Bushwick. On my list. On my list. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, third quarter. We are in the second half, my friends, still sitting courtside, enjoying this conversation with you, Smoko. Let's talk about the beats. Let's get back to the mm -hmm. music. When was the moment, like when was your break when you're just like, OMG, 
you call like your mom and your dad and you're like, I'm about to make some guap off this. Like, I'm going to make money. Like, this is a viable career. It's not a passion that I love and think about. It's not a hobby. It's not something that could be. It's something that is. Well, hands down, I would say my first big placement was when Mm -hmm. Vic and Kanye, the song You Mad, me producing that song definitely changed my life. That was like 2014, I think. But having that song come out and then at that time, you know, Vic's starting to blow up and Kanye's, you know, I'm from Chicago, obviously he's from Chicago. So that whole connection there was just insane. Um, It got me like my first publishing deal, got me into more sessions or people wanting to work with me. So yeah, that was the first song that Were you nervous in a session like that? Because you respect these artists and like many, many artists that you've worked with, I'm sure you walk in mm-hmm. with a level of respect and admiration for their work. But yeah. coming out fresh where you're, like I said, you, you know, 17, 18, learning to make beats, trying to establish yourself. How do you handle, like, are you nervous? And if so, how do you handle those nerves? Well, I didn't meet Kanye in that session. So I made the song okay. with Vic and then Kanye, he started to work with Kanye. And then I think... They were in like London and then he played on the song and then he was like, yeah, I want to hop on this, blah, blah, blah. But that year, Vic did Coachella and I did get to meet Kanye. Like we went to his house in Palm Springs or the house that he was like renting or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like that was pretty surreal because it was just like me, Vic, Kanye talking. And I feel like I was nervous, you know, like being around someone like that was the first time I was ever around someone like that big. And um when stuff like that happens, I just sit and listen, you know. If someone wants me to talk, I'll talk. But yeah, I was in the session with him. I've been to sessions where I've seen him make music and stuff, but never was like me and him like making beats and stuff together. Yeah. Um, you work with Chance the Rapper. You also have Pull Up, Sam Henshaw, who I do uh, this class at it's called Sundays with Love mm-hmm. at Peloton and Sam Hishaw and I had an interview and I used his song as my opening song for nice. this class that I've had for three years. Like he's in, he's so dope. So he's you work so with these, inc- like again, like I keep saying the word incredible yeah. artists and you're making yeah. beats, you yourself in your own right, incredible artists. What is your work style? Like the folks that are listening, if they, if they look you up, they find, you know, they find out about you, but this is their moment mm-hmm. to really find out about you. What's your work style? What is it like being in a studio with you? So I would say like my work style first is I focus on myself. So I, I I see that you're big into fitness and you do the Peloton and stuff. So I would go to the gym first, work out, do all this stuff for a couple hours. And then I come approach the music side. Um, so if people have sessions with me, I would love for them to come to the gym with me, but that never happens. But um, I come to the studio and I kind of just like said it like, I don't like to do late sessions. So I'll usually start at like one, two, and then go to like eight, maybe seven um, or a little earlier. But I feel like it's a very open creative process. You know, like I think when you're in the studio, it's important to have no ego, you know, like, Because I think with creative people, like a lot of people would just want like, they have an idea, right? And they want to, they want to put it out or whatever. And I think what's a good, being a good producer is someone who is open to all ideas, you know? Like there's some producers who might be like, no, this, this is what you're singing on. This is the wave. Like, this is what you got to, you know? And I feel like 
I've seen that personally. And I feel like hearing people out and just talking to them, I feel like that's a very important thing to have a conversation before even creating music. You know, like, how's your day going? Where's your head at? You know what I mean? Because all those things create topics and create the song from having those conversations or experiences. And I feel like some studio sessions would be like, we're just hanging out talking for three hours before we even touch a note or even play something. And I feel like that's where all, all the the best music comes from is from experiences and conversations instead of like, say we just met and then we're like, let's do a session. And the first thing we do is like, all right, let's start playing the piano. It's like, you know, you, you're never going to have anything like organic. And I feel like, so coming to the studio, just hanging out, catching a vibe, talking, I feel like those are like a must for me, like in a studio session. Because, you know, you might not even rock with the person that you yeah. got the session with. You might be like, oh, this guy, his views are wild. Or you just be like, or he's talking crazy or she's, yeah, whatever it is. So I feel like having a connection is the most important thing for music. I feel like that's why like, I love to make music with my friends because it's like, we just, we just have fun. You know, there's mm. no stress. There's no, sometimes I've been in studio sessions where sometimes you feel pressured because you have to get something done or, you know, this person is this big or whatever it is. And I feel like yeah. something like they, nothing usually comes from those sessions, you know? So yeah. I would say create the vibe, talk, you know, catch a vibe and just see what happens. I like that. No, I like that. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Just, just giving good energy. All right, let's exactly. roll into the fourth quarter. We're here because of basketball. Uh-oh. I did not grow up playing basketball, although I am a tall human being. I did grow up for the love of basketball, being from Miami, the Miami Heat, then moving to New York, becoming a Nick City dancer, and then becoming the host for my 10th season. Tomorrow Ooh. is like my 10th season. 10th season? Yes. Oh my um, God. BK all day for the Nets. Like, uh, yes, I love the NBA. I love sports, but I love Brooklyn basketball. For you, you talk about growing up, your love of basketball. What you got this season? Well, who are you looking at this season? You better say the Nets because they're going to, I told you they're going to come for you. Yes. The Nets, you know, okay, they're, they're going to be great. There you go. They're going to, they're going to be, they're going to, everyone's healthy. Ben Simmons is back, right? I mean, you guys looking good, but I think, I was literally just talking about this yesterday, my friend. I think the Clippers are going to be really good if everyone stays healthy. I mean, but I think the surprise team for me is the Cavs. I think the Cavs will be really good. Mm. Um, the Bulls, obviously, but Lonzo Ball's hurt, so I feel like he's like he's like the glue for us. So it's kind of <laughs> when Lonzo Ball's the glue That's for us. I mean, yeah, I mean, he you know he plays defense, he passes, he's very unselfish. I feel like you need someone like that. But yeah, I'm looking at Cavs, Nets, Clippers. Hopefully the Lakers do something. Not the Warriors? I like the Warriors, but like, it's not exciting. I guess there was drama. So I guess we'll see. Well, there there is drama, but is it because you kind of know the outcome because they're such a steady team? Yeah, I feel like I've, it's like they've dominated for so long and I always consider them in the conversation, you know, like they're got it. It's like the unsaid. Amazing. No need to say it, yeah. Captain Obvious yeah. for obvious reasons. Exactly, but but they do have some drama, so hopefully, well, I guess we'll see if the chemistry will will still work. 
Well, I think this season is our season for the Nets. I'm really excited. To your point, sometimes you want to see a little shakeup in basketball and like that's exactly what's going on. And so I'm looking forward to to such an exciting season, especially going, you know, going on going on my 10th season <laughs> here, being like, I start every season like, we got this, we're going to do this. <laughs> and, you know, I'm starting this season with that same kind of experience. You know, we got this, we're going to do this. Uh, before I let you go, as we wind down this game and last two minutes in the fourth quarter, what is up for you? What's next? What's on the way? What can people keep their eyes and ears out for? I'm working on my own project. There are songs I'm putting out. So if you go on my Spotify, I have some songs that I've already put out, but it's like featuring people. I'm not singing and rapping. It's just oh, like- I was like, give us a, a taste. <laughs> it's just like, a, it's like a producer DJ project. More of like- Dancier house discos is where I'm at with it. Working on a bunch of my friends' music. Uh, Chance is working on an album, so working on How that. How is it to work with Chance? I know I didn't ask, but I'm a huge Chance the Rapper fan um, in terms of just like what he's done with his career, like coming on to, onto the scene, how consistent he says to his values, mm-hmm. obviously good music. What is it like working with him? Uh, it's a blessing. I mean, seeing someone from passing out mixtapes Literally going to schools and passing out to selling out arenas or being on the Grammys or whatever it is, hanging out with the president, whatever it is, like, I feel like it's always inspiring, you know? Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is crazy. This, this man's always doing something cool. And I think having him as a friend helps, you know, I feel like the people who you surround yourself with, right? So just his views on things, he's very, for the community, his people, like, all those things that I feel like that always brings a positive light on your life. You know, like when you just go about your day and being around that. So I'm always blessed to to be like, this is one of my best friends and to make music with him and see him grow and we grow together, whatever it is. So it's dope. You know, he's very talented, nice guy, funny guy, but his new stuff is dope. I'm excited. We're excited for his project. We're excited for your project. Looking out for it on Spotify. Hopefully um, you play it in your in your Peloton class. In my Peloton class. Maybe maybe there's a thing here. Huh? Yes. Huh? Maybe yeah, we yeah. do a, you know. I'll do a DJ set while you guys is riding your bikes. Okay, I'm going to offline about that. Well, <laughs> stay tuned, folks. We also are working on a project now. Smoke Ono and Ali Love. We'll let Let's you go. know. We'll let you know. It's Peloton been, you heard it study. here. First. first. You heard it here first. No, but um, Soko, thank you so much for your time. I truly enjoy the conversation. One of your priorities is to make sure the vibe is right. So thank you for yes. coming with great energy. You set the vibe, you set the tone. We sat courtside, everybody. Smoko Ono, courtside conversation. Ali Love. We'll see you next time. Peace. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.